If you're home and you're not feeling well, I still want to welcome you to watch, and um, it's good to have you guys. For those in the room, it's just a big food fest. There's so much food here. Bob Stratton said, is anybody going to stay awake for this? <laughs> I sure hope so. We decided at the last minute to pick up pizzas, so there's plenty of pizza there. There's little hot dog wrappy things. There's plenty of sweets. There's fruit. There's something for vegans, fruitarians, carnivores, you name it, it's there. So, And of course, there's tea and coffee. What a wonderful festive. And look, everybody's wearing these festive colors and red and all this wonderful stuff. Tis the season to be merry. Um, so anyway, welcome. Um, I'm excited to conclude the chapter three um, tonight. We're going to be doing that. Um, and I do have a couple of announcements as we get rolling here. This will be our um, pre-holidays. This will be our last week on a Wednesday night. And we'll be taking three weeks off. Seems like a long time, and it kind of is. So don't lose momentum. Make sure you're back. So we will restart back up January 10th. Okay, that's when we're going to start back up. So we will be taking the next three weeks off. And so um, just so you know, you know, that's how it's going to be. So um, more than likely, it'll be a continuation as we continue. In fact, this teaching tonight really rolls into chapter four, and Brenton will pick up in chapter four when we meet again in, in, uh, the, the next time we meet. So, um, so I'd like to begin um, tonight, basically, well, let's go ahead and start in prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll get settled in. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for all those who have come out tonight in this kind of dark, blustery, slightly rainy evening. Lord, there's no better place to be, Lord, than uh, with other brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, looking and digging into your word and uh, learning things and understanding things about your word that can help us in our daily walk and help us as we um, affirm one another and as we spread the gospel to others, Father. We, uh, we thank you again for those who have come out tonight and for those also who are watching on the live stream. We ask that you uh, be with them and bless them if they're not well. And, um, and your, all these things in your name, we pray, amen. Um, all right, well, tonight's teaching in this particular section, we're going to be picking it up. Uh, we're not going to read it yet, but Brenton covered from, well, I'll review what he did in a second. But this is, this is remember at the very beginning when we talked about the breakdown of all of this and, 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 and like... Jesus is better than this. So it started with Jesus is better than angels, then Jesus is better than Moses, and it continued on. Jesus is better than Aaron. And then also interspersed throughout this whole book are warnings. And there are a total of six warnings. And if you refer back to that very first overview, you'll find that we've already covered one of the warnings, and that was to not fall away. I think that was in chapter 2. And so we now come in this particular passage to the second warning that the writer of Hebrews is, is admonishing or is exhorting uh, the Hebrew, the Jewish people that he's writing to in this text. And so it is a warning. The warning itself is written generally to the group of Hebrews that are likely within the church body. Now, we all know that not every single person within every single church is a true believer. Jesus spoke of the wheat and of the tares. And so while he's writing this predominantly to the body itself, you can see where part of this text is, is focused towards unbelievers. 
and some of it generally will apply to believers as well as we kind of navigate through this, just so, just to give you a heads up on just what this is. So the warning is a warning to those Hebrews, or generally to, to the Hebrews, both believers and non-believers, but the ones that are within the fellowship, but, are, but aren't either fully converted or they, they, they have, their hearts were driven towards the message. They've heard the gospel. They know the gospel. They've, 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 they're experiencing things, but they keep getting drawn and pulled back into the Le- Levitical law. That was the big issue at the time, and that's what a lot of these writings are for, is they're, they're, they're drawn back into um, taking another route. Uh, it's sort of unbelief. It's, it's denying. It's, it's going back to something that might be a little easier um, uh, and, and something more, more solid and in stone where they could actually do things. And, and it was obviously the, not the right way. They were falling away, and that's what the first warning was about. So uh, mainly to, to, the, to the believers that had the propensity to be distracted by other things, by other doctrines. Um, and so that's sort of uh, what this is, these are directed towards. Uh, the title, if there was a title for this, it's really, if you're taking notes on this, it's the urgency of exhortation. The urgency of exhortation. If you don't know what exhortation truly means, it's a strong urging. It's a, it's a, a very strong recommendation. It's, it's, an ex, it's to explain, to, to give someone a, a prompting and to encourage someone in a very forward manner. Uh, and, and when things of danger come up, you want to give strong warning. If, you have a, if you've ever had children or toddlers and they want to stick their fingers in the light socket or grab the stove or do something that could harm them, slip out the front door into traffic, there, there, we give a strong exhortation to protect. And that's sort of uh, where this word kind of is used. So it's the urgency of exhortation. It's, it's almost twofold. Um, so there's four things, four, tr- four uh, truths and uh, four um, observations in this text that are written to the Hebrews, obviously, and that do apply to us. So if you're taking notes, the four things are, first we're going to notice is to take heed, to take heed. You could also say take care or to check yourselves or look out or to guard yourselves, but take heed seems to be a strong and clear statement there. The second thing is to exhort one another. That's something else we're going to notice in this particular text. Exhort one another. So the first one is to take heed. Second one is to exhort one another. The third thing we'll look at tonight is do it now. Do it now. There's an urgency in this particular passage. Do it now. And finally, the fourth thing that we'll see It is to simply hold firm, hold firm, hold fast, hold firm. Now, what it's referring to, we don't need to write this down, but you can just keep that hold firm uh, to what you have been taught until the end. So it's a very, it's a very uh, strong truth, but to hold firm. So take care, exhort one another, do it now, and to hold firm. These are the four of these truths and exhortations that we're actually going to see in this passage. So as we review, Brenton did a wonderful job in the first six verses 
of Hebrews 3. And just to kind of review this, um, the general topic was Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus, Moses was a, well, let me read what he had. Uh, we looked at three things. One, the faithfulness of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, and the worship of, excuse me, the sonship of Jesus. So it did talk about Moses and how he was a faithful servant, but Jesus went beyond that and was a faithful son. And so the sonship of Jesus was the, the greatest distinction between Moses, one of the greatest distinctions between Moses and Jesus. Um, so as we look at this particular passage, um, and we can probably pick this up back in verse 6 where, where he kind of ended, and you'll see something that, again, that, that speaks of, of what we're to do. It's in verse 6 it says, let's look at the text, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. There was the major distinction. And we, that's the body of believers, are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And again, hold fast, is a, uh, that's been something that we've started in in, in in chapter 2. In fact, in chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but it said we must pay attention uh, to what we heard lest we drift away. Well, well, holding fast is the very opposite of drifting away. If you're clinging to something, you're holding fast to a tree, you're, you're, you're anchored into a solid mooring, that's holding fast. The opposite would be to drift away. So we're continue, continue as this text goes through, chapter 2, 3, we see this term, hold fast, hold firm. It's an exhortation to stay the course. There's all these things that are coming along and, and people are turning this way and that way and back and it's just an encouragement to hold fast. So as we come into this next passage here, I want you to notice that chapters or verses 7 through 11 are from Psalm 95. Ironically, Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. I thought that was kind of interesting. And what this is, is it is a, uh, a recollection of, of looking back at the Israelites when they had been delivered from Egypt. They saw the miraculous things God did. I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine walking through, seeing the fish on the dry seabed or the, the river, and then you know seeing the walls of water, walking through that, and then drifting away, and then becoming unfaithful, and then becoming un, having unbelief after that. Sometimes I feel like, like the apostles and, and and Paul, like I'm not saying they had it easy, but like they saw him. They were with Christ. Now, they suffered a martyr's death, but we're so far removed sometimes, I think, wow, you know, it's, but we have the Word of God in full that they did not have. And I, I just think it's interesting because it's just something I think about. Like, well, you know, Paul, he went, he saw Christ. He, you know, he, he was communicated with Christ. Of course, he's going to believe in Christ. But, but these thousands and thousands of Jews that, Hebrews that, that came through out of the land of Egypt and saw the miraculous things, they fell into disbelief. They fell into unbelief. So what this thing, what in this passage here we're going to look at is reflecting back on that. And the warning here is, yes, you're far removed from this, 
And the parallel is actually Moses, you were led out of the promise, you know, led out of Egypt, and yet you still fell into belief. And now you've actually, Christ has actually come, the Messiah has come and has been fulfilled, and yet you're still leaning to falling in belief. Don't do what the Israelites did. So this second warning that we see here is in and of itself, it says, don't be like the Israelites in the wilderness. If you're taking notes, that's what this whole thing is talking about. They did it back then. Now we have a new covenant. Christ came, the Messiah has come, and given us a new covenant, and yet you're still leaning towards and doing the same things. So let's pick it up in verse 7, and I'm just going to read through this. In fact, I'm going to read through all the way till... No, let's just read 7 through 11. So again, this is from Hebrews. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. Now, let me just kind of pause right there, just for clarity. This is, this is doubling down on the fact that all Scripture was written through, with the Holy Spirit. So it was the author and the Holy Spirit that wrote the text. And so that's what this is referring to. There's three other references in Hebrews. I don't need to go there, but just so there's clarity on what that's talking about. So it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says in the Scriptures, today, I want you to remember that word right there, how, 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 how huge that starts with. It doesn't say tomorrow or this week or this month or this year. It says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me, that's God, to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I, that's God, was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That, that's pretty strong language. And there was an entire generation that was not allowed to enter the rest, which was the promised land. And so, the, and again, another parallel here is that is the word rest. The word rest back then was referring to the promised land, out of Egypt, wandering, and then into the promised land. Our rest now is the rest that we have when we are in Christ's hands as believers. We have the moment we are converted, the moment we put our trust and our faith and believe and receive Christ and who He is, submit to Him, His will, make Him the Lord of our life, we, we enter this rest that is not only here on earth, but it's eternal. And so it's not just referring to an eternal rest, which does occur, but it's the, the, the moment that we, we, we've rested. There's no longer a fight or a battle. Once we are converted, we are Christ. We are his sons and daughters. He holds us fast. There's no fighting anymore. There's no wrestling. There's nothing we can do to even be removed from that so we can rest. So that's what the rest is referring to there. So this is the text that we see that's referring back to that. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't be like them. You might be tempted to be fall into these other things or to fall back to this Levitical law system. Don't do it. So when we come down here in verse 12, this is where the writing begins, and, and the first point of, of what I said here is, is to take care. That's the very first thing he says, which is the first 
point of, of this is to take care. And what does that mean to take care? It, it's If you continue through this, let's just read this one particular verse. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, which is what the Israelites had, leading you to fall away from the living God. So, so the take care part is something I like to call situational awareness. Now, if anybody has ever taken a self-defense course or a, a, a handgun course or even just a, just a I don't know, a, a defense course, like maybe that they have at the YMCA or something, there's something called situational awareness. And what I mean by that is, is just knowing your surroundings, knowing that when you walk out of the grocery store at night in a parking lot, that you're not just staring at your phone, not, not even oblivious to what's going on. You, you, need, you need to be looking up and looking around, looking for things that, that could harm you or affect you, cars, some that might try to rob you. And so there's a certain sense that's called situational awareness, being aware of what's going on around you. Uh, if you were in the woods and you were in a bear country, uh, you, you probably wouldn't just go trampling through something. Uh, you know, you would want to, it's called situ knowing what's around you and what your enemies are and what's there. So this take care part is very much that. It's watch, watch what you're doing. Uh, notice your, your surroundings. What are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you, who you're talking with and, and what kind of conversations do you have? There's just a situational awareness because if you're aware of your surroundings and what you're taking in and how, how, the things that you're giving yourself and feeding yourself, the negative things can lead you down the wrong path. So when it says to take care, we need to really pay attention. We need to pay attention to what we, again, the things that we listen to and what we say and what we do and, and what, we, uh, what we watch. We need to take care. We need to have a situational awareness because the, the, the enemy is cunning. Well, you know, the, the old example we used to use with our kids, you know. Well, mom and dad, there's just a couple of swear words in there in this movie, you know. And it's like, well, here's some brownies. And there's just a little bit of dog poop in there. You know, like, yeah, yeah, that was kind of the, you know, but just, it's just a little bit. You know, I say that a lot to you. Well, but it's true. But it's so, so just these little small, yeah, these little small things that we go, well, it's, but it's only this, or it's, you know, I've only had three drinks tonight. Whatever it is, we just have to be careful and be sensitive. We need to, we need to take care. We need to take heed. We need to pay attention uh, to how we live. And so just a, just a word of warning here. Now, obviously, um, as we continue, lest there be in any of you uh, an evil, unbelieving heart. This is referring back to the Israelites. But it's also for this day and age, when they was talking to the Hebrews, it's also talking about us now. So an un evil, unbelieving heart leading you away from the living God. That's a very uh, horrible place to be. And I think about... Um, I was, I've been fishing this week, uh, trying, to, trying to catch one more snook before snook season ends uh, at the inlet, but I've got a nice 20, 25 minute drive to the inlet from my house. And so I like to listen to podcasts and encouraging things. And um, uh, where was I going with that? <laughs> uh, but I, it, was, it, was a, it was a particular um, 
Sir, you're laughing at me, aren't you? <laughs> what was the text here? Fall away from, oh, yes, right. Sorry, I completely lost it. I did go, I was just uh, standing at the inlet fishing right there. There's something called an apostate, an apostate. And Paul talks about this. And typically an apostate is someone who has claimed the faith, who once thought they were a believer or at least did the right things, and in modern-day terms, it's called deconstructionism, or to deconstruct, away from the faith. And there's been a lot of this lately. There's a guy that wrote a book named Josh Harris. He said, uh, kiss dating goodbye or something. Uh, there's some guys that were very famous on a very popular podcast, and they were believers, and then they have fallen away, and they're denouncing Christ. So this falling away, this, this uh, falling into unbelief, it doesn't happen overnight. It, it happens in the slow eroding. In fact, if you look at the text here, it says, lest there be an evil, unbelieving heart leading you away, this leading you away to fall away from the living God. And that, that to me is a very frightening place to be. Now, we do know that we have absolute eternal security. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And if you don't, if you don't know that, I can give you five or six Bible references that are make it sure that you know that once you are a believer, there's nothing that can remove you from the love of God. That there's nothing that can take you out of his hand. That's an understanding thing. So, But there are some times in life where someone may appear to be a believer. They come into the church and they say the right things and do the right things. And the next thing you know, they're gone and they have turned their back on Christ. That's a frightening place to be. So these warnings here that we see um, aren't necessarily for what for, for us in general. It could be, but more than likely every single person here that I can see, uh, only God knows, is the warning here for us is to just be careful with what we listen to and what we watch and what we do. Because one thing can lead to another and can lead to another. And that's typically what we've seen with a lot of these deconstruction movements that we've seen. Uh, it's funny, even uh, John Piper's son, uh, I think his name is Ab Abraham Piper, and just is rails against his father in videos and TikTok, and it's just awful to watch. It's and I can't imagine um, from John Piper's perspective what that must be like or feel like. Uh, but it's clear in the Bible that it's going to happen. And so, um, so the first warning really is to take care, to be aware of what we do and what we watch and what we do and what we say. Now, here's the, here's the second part. But, but, and, and this is interesting because we're not, we're, we're not all alone in this. And this is where the body of Christ comes in. This is the brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Now, do you see the word today again there? Today, we started in chapter 7, or excuse me, verse 7, it, said, it started with today. Or is that 8? 7 says today, if you hear his voice. So it's repeated down here again, and that's the urgency of it. So exhort one another every day, as long as you call it today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's a pretty powerful sentence there. Let me read it again. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that means do it now, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin's deception is deadly. It's sneaky. 
It's not blatant at every single turn. It's, 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 tricked, it's trickery. Satan is the ultimate author of evil, and he's, de- he's deceptive, and he's sneaky, and he'll get in. And even within a church where you may have people that are saved, and even Christ said there will be people that are unsaved, this passage says right here, this particular section is to exhort one another today, ASAP, so that we are careful to do what? So that we as, as long so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So essentially what this is saying, it's pretty clear in here, but just to reiterate in maybe a different way, is that our role, when we, when, if you're a member of this church, I say member, if, you're, if you've signed the fellowship agreement, it really was to one another. It wasn't like some of the other denominations where it's more of a, a formal thing, it's a membership covenant and all that. It's more of a covenant that you have with one another. And part of the responsibility of believers is to exhort one another and to keep one another from falling. You see a brother and he's doing something that, man, I, I saw you in the corner there kind of talking with so-and-so and I, I think I know what you're talking about. And was it, yeah, it was, you know, to go to that person and say, that's destructive and, and, and that's divisive. And I, and I think that might not be the best thing to do. That's an exhortation. An exhortation can also be an encouragement. Uh, someone is going through something. Maybe you know someone that's going through um, just a hardship. They battle something. They battle uh, a particular sin that they struggle with, you know, off and on. And going to them and exhorting them and helping them and coming alongside them so that they don't continue in this sin to become hardened by it. That's something that, that, that's the one another's. That's things that we should all do. Uh, With those that are newer in the faith, some that are in the church that may not be saved yet, that we don't really know, and even other seasoned saints also need exhortation. None of us are perfect. We all sin. Hate to break it to you, but we all do. That's why 1 John 1.9 says, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. So the second thing is to exhort one another. I, I love the urgency, though, which is the next point, the do it now. Number three, do it now. There's an urgency to this. It doesn't say, but exhort one another every day, you know, um, whenever you want, or uh, don't, you know, in general, or uh, this year sometime. It says, as long as it is called today. So just notice the urgency of that. It's important to do. Otherwise, he would not, the author would not have written, not Paul, but whoever wrote this, you know. Right, Brenton? <laughs> Where is Brenton? Okay, so kidding, kidding. So none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The word hardened there, here's something that happens. I, I, I studied this a little bit. I looked it up on how they, it's not annealing. I believe it's called tempering, how you temper steel how you harden steel, and it's by a repeated action. If you were to take steel and heat it up and then let it cool, it would remain about in, in the same, and let it cool on its own, it would remain the same temper, the same hardness. But if you take that steel and you put it into the furnace and then you quickly put it into water and you do that over and over and over again, it begins to harden more and more and more 
to the point where it becomes brittle and could be of no use at some point. And, and, and with sin, we can become hardened to things. Um, there's a point at which when you sin and you do it again and you continue in it, we begin to get calloused and hardened. Now, when I say we, I don't mean all of us. I don't mean all believers. But there are people that tend to drift away. Doesn't mean they've lost their salvation, but we all struggle with sin. But the danger of the sin is that you harden yourself to something. And the harder you get, the harder it is to come back, to return it back to the original state. So it needs to be broken. And sometimes God does that. So the hardening, there's a hardening of the heart people talk about. And there's actually a hardening of a heart where you can have the walls of your heart from ex excess or ex you know, too much use. Um, it begins to harden and stiffen, and, and it just doesn't work well anymore. And so sometimes it gets to the point where people need a, a, a literal heart transplant to get a soft, pliable heart. And there's a lot in that. Um, so just talking about that word hardening, that's a very scary word. We, we never want to become hardened to something like sin. We always want to be receptive, listening to the Word of God, listening to uh, Him in prayer, listening to others as they come around us so that we don't harden ourselves against sin. Let's continue on by the deceit, and sin certainly is deceitful. Um, verse 14, let's start there. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold fast. Now, it's actually, it says, hold our original confidence firm. There's the hold firm to the end. Let me repeat this verse. For we have come to share in Christ, that's all of us together, if indeed we hold, fat, hold, sorry, hold our original confidence firm. This is the way that's written. I would almost say that we hold firm to our original confidence. And what is that in? The original confidence is the, confidence is the original gospel that of Jesus Christ that came, and they were, they were wanting to drift away to go back to these other things. And they also were under persecution. If there's nothing that would make someone fall away or not hold fast, it's, it's having you know, a, a sword to your back and watching friends get killed and martyred. And so not only were they tempted to go back to Levitical law, they were also being persecuted to the point of death. So they're saying here, hold fast to the original gospel. Hold fast to what we know was from Christ. Uh, and, it, and in fact, it doesn't say hold fast. In the, it says to the end. To the end. Now, for us, the end might simply imply when it's our time to go, you know, in, in a natural life. Or to the end of, you know, maybe we struggle and have a physical ailment and our life is cut short a little bit. That's the end. We are to, to hold fast to the end, but they were holding fast to the end, which might have been death by sword or death by martyrdom. So holding fast to that end, wow, that's maybe something to consider, that what they were holding fast unto, and that's tortured or killed or martyred. So um, I don't want to say by any means that we have it easy where we live and the era we live in, but we kind of do in a way. We're not being persecuted, and, and I, when Marshall shared that story this weekend about, about that Asian woman that sang and why she was singing so loud, and, and, and uh, you know, some of you were not here Sunday, uh, but 
but Marshall Pennell shared a story of uh, a conference they were at, and an Asian gal was singing just so loud, and she was a little off pitch, and, and people were like, well, what's going on with her? And come to find out after the, uh, at the post-conference meeting that she was from an area of China where they're not allowed to sing. Otherwise, they would be heard and caught and killed or persecuted. So this was one of the times and one of the opportunities where she could sing as loud as she possibly could. Was she perfect? No. But, but to hear that story, wow, that was just amazing. So we've got it pretty good here in America, at least now. Um, but we still need to persevere to the end. That's the, there's a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints, knowing that Christ will keep us to the end through the Holy Spirit, which is in us. And that's, it's not just on us. This sanctification walk that we go and, 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 and walk through until glory, that's under the power of the Holy Spirit. He helps us along the way, uh, this walk we have, which we will see when we get to chapter 12. Um, so again, and we, and we look down here at, at verse 15 again. As it is said, and he repeats again uh, that from verse 7, he says, Today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That was from the original Israelites. And this is interesting how he kind of goes on this question and answer thing in the next few texts. Uh, just look at this and I'll read it along. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? First question, second answer, first answer. 17, and with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Question, answer, was it not for, with those who had sinned, whose body fell, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Question number three, and whom did he swear that, that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient, it was them. So we see that they are unable to enter because of unbelief. Now, I'm going to stop there because even though this really does tie in to the next chapter, this is almost like a, a continuation that we will see. But that last sentence, you got to really look at that. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So the Israelites did not get to enter the promised land because even though they had just seen these miraculous things and they were delivered out of Egypt, out of the, hand, the bondage of slavery. And God did these amazing things to smite the Egyptians that were chasing them. Because they turned away from God, their unbelief is why they didn't get to enter. And so the warning here in Hebrews, the writer's going, good grief, didn't you see? You know what happened. These Hebrews were all familiar with the stories, not the stories, but the actual narratives. They knew it. Don't repeat this. Don't do this again. You have a far better and greater person that's, than even Moses was. Don't do this to Christ. Don't turn your backs because unbelief will... It, the, the sin of unbelief will cause you not to enter His rest is what he's saying. And that rest means that peace we have with God and that eternal rest that we'll have with Him. And so that's kind of a frightening thing there. Um, I wanted to continue into four 
Brenton and I talked about this, and it really kind of does lead into that, but I love putting just a, just kind of hitting the pause button on this, just to give you something to kind of come back to. And so when we do come back, now I do have some points to this, and we're not done yet. Don't put things away. I know it's a little early. However, I just think that this was a textually a, a good stopping point just to look at the main four points we have here. And I want to kind of repeat these as we go through this. I always like to have an application. And as I do the application, sometimes questions come up as I, as I study this text and study for a Bible study. I just think of things like, how does this relate to us? How can we apply these things? So the first one, um, just some important questions, I think. Just something to ask, are you vigilant? Are you, do you take care? Do you take heed? Are you situationally aware as you walk through your Christian walk? Are there things that you know you sh probably shouldn't dabble with? It, are you on social media too much? Do you watch too much news and get your heart bent by getting frustrated by what's going on with politics? Are there things, are there a series of television shows that you watch that, eh, just a little bit of, little bit of dog poop in there, you know? We need to guard ourselves because really, while we're here on this earth, we're striving to be like Christ. And that means we're trying to be holy as I am holy, God says. And so we're constantly moving in a direction where, are we perfect? No. Will we continue to sin? Absolutely. But you should be sinning less than you were a month ago or a year ago. You should be in a different place in your life. And so are you vigilant? Do you watch the things that, that would create and give room for unbelief? Again, careful what we read, careful what we listen to, careful what we give our time to. Secondly, do you have the habit of, and maybe you don't, and that's okay. Maybe this passage has spoken to you. It, well, God has spoken to you through this. Do you exhort one another? Do you take the time to, to reach out and, and talk to someone? Or do you see things sometimes and just sort of turn a blind eye? Are there things within the body of Christ that you could be doing that might be important. And, and I had to think about these things, you know. These are things that I always, when you're teaching something, it, it, it's, there's no greater audience than myself when I look at this. Are there things that I need to be doing to help others? You know, it's like, ah, he's my buddy, and I know he struggles with that, but he'll be okay. No, I need to stop talking about whatever and address the problem at hand, and I need to exhort one another. We need to help each other along. It's not just the job of elders and pastors and staff to to bring you along in your sanctification. It's the body that does that. It's the body that, go, it's the one another's. It's bearing the burdens, but it's also calling people out. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean in a loving, gracious, gentle, and encouraging way. It's important. It's more loving to do that than not to do that. It's frightening not to do that. It costs a lot. So, Something, have you ever had the urge to call someone just out of the blue? You know, I always wonder what, in our lives, what is the Holy Spirit and what is just our conscience? And how do those intersect? Sometimes we don't know when we make decisions whether it was the Holy Spirit or it was just something we felt and we did. And I think in retrospect, you can look back, look back and go, that was the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad I called. I'm so glad that I reached out to so-and-so because 
he was really struggling with something, and I was able to come alongside of him and talk to him about those things. So, you know, if you have an urge to call someone or to reach out to someone or do something or say something, you might want to think about that, consider it, and, and, and move on that um, biblically. And obviously, I was going to say, do it today. It's what this passage says. It's a little late, but maybe tomorrow, okay? So, <laughs> but if there's someone, something that's on your mind, that's weighing on your mind, and, and something that you've been prompted to do, do it tonight. Make that call. Finally, uh, do we hold firm to the true gospel? Do you know what the true gospel is? There's a lot of false gospels out there. There's a lot of easy Christianity out there. There's a lot of things coming out of pulpits around the nation that frighten me. I, I wonder about some of the congregations and what they're being fed. Um, I'm not going to give out names, but there's plenty of names to give when it comes to churches being led by people that aren't giving the full truth of the full gospel. Do you know what that full gospel is? What the true gospel is? Are you bold in conversations with non-believers about it? And again, if you are not bold in with non-believers and what you're saying to them, there's two things that might be happening. One is that you may not fully understand the true gospel yourself. You might just have a good grasp on it. You might really not have a good clear understanding of it. The second thing is you might just be a little shy because you might fear man a little more than you fear God. And these are all things that I've had to consider and think about myself. You know, you see, I see someone that I've known for a long time and, you know, hey, buddy, what's up? And, and I just kind of, maybe I'm more concerned with what he thinks about me than what God thinks about me. And so there's several reasons why as we, and I think it might be a neat thing to maybe have a class sometime on evangelism and the gospel and learning how to share our, 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 what we believe with people. Because there's a lot of things that Christians probably may not talk about, but they're like, I'm not real comfortable. It's because maybe I don't know the exact gospel and I don't know what to say. And I, and I, and, and, or maybe, you know, like I said, I, maybe I fear man or what people think of me more than than what God thinks of me. So those are just some things to consider um, as we hold firm to the true gospel that we have. Do we ourselves preach the gospel to ourselves? I think every morning when you wake up, you, you need to preach the gospel to yourself. And you need to know the gospel, and you need to know what Christ did for you. This coming weekend, I'm... Um, call it preaching, call it teaching, for the first time on Sunday. I'm a little nervous, to be honest with you, because there's a lot of weight to a, a Sunday morning service. And it's on, it's on the rejection or the reception of Christ. We'll be out of 1 John. We're continuing, through, we're continuing through the book of John. And just in studying that, you really have to know and understand what the true gospel is. But you need to preach it to yourself daily. And, and, and I think there's a sense of thankfulness that you'll get. Sometimes I wake up in the mornings and sometimes I'm cranky, sometimes I'm depressed. I don't know why, I'm retired, I shouldn't be. But, but, but there are times when we wake up in the morning and maybe we're going through a struggle or maybe we just, just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. The first thing we need to do is have a grateful heart, giving thanks, but preach the gospel to yourself. 
Remind yourself daily what God has done and what he's doing for us. And, and, and when you know that, know these things, it makes it a lot easier to talk with people about it. So, um, finally, is the Word of God, this, this amazing book right here, is it our mooring? Is it your mooring? Is it what you cling to? Is it what you, what you go to when things get, when the, when the waves come? Is this word your mooring? Do you hold firm to that? And that we, we talked about it in chapter two, but it's just a good reminder that, you know, when things go awry, you know what, even when things are going really well, that's, that's where I think the enemy can come in. The enemy, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those three things can slip in when things are going really, really well. And it's at that, that point when we need to make sure we, oh, I'm fine, I'm good, I don't need to read the Word this morning. Everything's going good. Huh. Look out. <laughs> Something's coming. Cling to this. Stay, stay in the Word. In good times and bad times, uh, it's important to have that good disciplined habit of being in the Word. So those are just some, some encouragement things, some, some exhortations, some things to remember. Uh, again, this book is, this particular passage is really the warning, the second warning passage. So it might be a little strong in its language, but I think we need to hear these things every once in a while to remind us how to live and how to do these things and how to do life with one another. And so it's important. So I'm going to close in prayer. And then as always, I want to make sure we take time to take prayer requests and, and, and share a little bit. So Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you once again for your word. It's so consistent. It's so authoritative, Lord. It, it, it affirms itself all the way through. It is cohesive, Lord, and, and we're grateful, Father, that we have your word in our hands. Thank you for this word. Lord, may we apply the things that we have learned from this tonight, and perhaps they're just reminders of things that we ought to do, Lord. May we take them seriously, Father, and knowing that it is for our benefit, Father, that you've given us these truths, Lord, because we are your sons and daughters. For that, Father, we are eternally grateful, Lord, and we thank you so much for that. Go with us tonight as we travel home. Father, keep us safe. Return us together on Sunday for fellowship, Lord, and to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.